Our colleague Jonathan Randalls covers bankruptcy, which he says can sometimes feel a little monotonous. Covering bankruptcy can be very boring, okay? Like, they're talking about dollars and cents. It's just like another day at the office, you know, covering a lot of, like, these bankruptcy hearings. But there's one bankruptcy case he's been covering lately that's about a lot more than just dollars and cents. It involves the opioid epidemic and one of the companies behind it, Purdue Pharma. Members of the Sackler family own it. Purdue, facing a mountain of lawsuits over its drug, OxyContin, filed for bankruptcy in 2019. The bankruptcy system was going to resolve all of the liability arising out of the opioid crisis. And specifically, lawsuits that have been filed against the Sackler family. And those lawsuits accuse them as the owners of Purdue Pharma and directors of Purdue Pharma of fueling the opioid crisis. A few months ago, a bankruptcy judge approved a $4.5 billion settlement, which would have freed Purdue and the Sackler family from future lawsuits. But the settlement was appealed, and a new judge reviewed the case. And last week, Jonathan was at home, waiting for the ruling to come in. I am at my apartment, refreshing the court docket every couple of minutes. Uh, And then it was like at 6-something, it comes in at 6 p.m. It was legit, like, shock. (laughs) It was legitimately like, I was like, oh my God. What was so shocking about it? So the conclusion she came to is what was shocking. And her conclusion was that Basically, the fundamental idea in which this case was brought into bankruptcy court was wrong. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Wednesday, December 22nd. Coming up on the show, why a judge overturned the $4.5 billion Purdue settlement and what it could mean for the victims of the opioid crisis. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. Among the people who say they've been hurt by Purdue Pharma is Ryan Hampton. Back in 2003, he had a promising career in Washington, D.C., And then, one day while hiking, he badly injured his knee and ankle. I ended up in a pain clinic, which at the time I didn't know was what we now call a pill mill, under the care of a doctor who prescribed me my first prescription for Oxycontin and my subsequent and many after that. That visit very quickly turned into homelessness, severe addiction, substance use disorder, overdose. It was awful. You know, I had lost my apartment, lost the ability to be employed, lost my health insurance. Ryan's addiction nearly destroyed his life. He eventually stopped using drugs, but it came at a cost. My mother and I 
while I, I was down visiting her recently in Florida, were recently going through the bills from treatment over that time frame. And the treatment bills easily added up to way over half a million dollars. Um, my mother had to mortgage her home, uh, open up credit card accounts to pay for treatment. I mean, we're collectively together uh, still paying those bills off today. The Sackler family has denied any wrongdoing in the opioid epidemic. Purdue pleaded guilty last year to felony charges over its marketing and selling of OxyContin. Meanwhile, a lot of people, including Ryan, have sued the company directly for its role in the opioid crisis. And it wasn't just individuals who sued. It was also states, municipalities, insurance companies, hospital systems, who all claimed that Purdue's flagship opioid painkiller inflicted massive harm on people and society. Our colleague Jonathan says that if you add it all up, Purdue was being sued for a lot of money. They estimated it's in the trillions. Like, if you added up all of the claims against them and they were paid out at their maximum amount, like, that wouldn't happen, like, in any real-world scenario. But essentially, it's if you added it all together, you're looking at, like, trillions of dollars in liability. And so Purdue did what a lot of companies do when faced with huge bills they can't pay. It filed for bankruptcy. When you think of bankruptcy, you just think of like, I'm behind on my bills and uh, I need, you know, some sort of relief for my debt. And um, that's not dissimilar to what like Purdue Pharma was doing. They, they were overwhelmed with lawsuits they couldn't pay for. And bankruptcy is this mechanism they're using to you know, make good on those settlements as much as they can without it, like, driving them out of business. Isn't it weird, though, that the opioid crisis is getting worked out in a bankruptcy case? If you had asked me this maybe, like, a couple of years ago, I'd be like, yeah, of course. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, like, uh, it's, you know, it's money and dollars. Why would, you know, like, why would a bankruptcy reporter ever cover something like the opioid crisis? But basically, now my answer would be no. Bankruptcy has, like, increasingly become the most commonly used system for resolving like the worst disasters in this country. Any kind of bad stuff you can think of, there's probably been a bankruptcy case connected to it. Other organizations have also turned to bankruptcy when faced with a tsunami of lawsuits, like the Boy Scouts, USA Gymnastics, and the California utility company PG&E. During Purdue's bankruptcy, the court brought together more than 600,000 claimants into a single committee called the Official Committee of Unsecured Creditors. It was made up of nine members, including big companies like Blue Cross Blue Shield and CVS. Ryan Hampton was one of the members representing victims, and he had a key role as co-chair. What is the Official Committee of Unsecured Creditors if you would think of like a court case and you would think of like Purdue Pharma as the defendant and there would need to be a plaintiff, you could kind of think of the official unsecured creditors committee as like a mega plaintiff in the case. The committee spent about two years negotiating with Purdue and the Sacklers over how to resolve all the claims. Eventually, they were able to reach a settlement where the Sacklers would relinquish their ownership and pay $4.5 billion of their own money to Purdue. And then Purdue would pay all of the states, insurance companies, hospitals, and individual victims that had a claim. Purdue would then emerge from bankruptcy with a new name and a new mission. It would be called NOAA Pharma, and it would be what's known as a public benefit corporation. 
It would solely exist to help reverse the drug crisis that its predecessor had been accused of helping cause. And the Sacklers? In return for the $4.5 billion, they would get a broad grant of legal protection from future lawsuits. All of those lawsuits pending against them or lawsuits that could be brought against the future, all of that would end. All of that would be resolved and they would no longer be under this cloud of uh, civil lawsuits that they've been dealing with for years. Even though Ryan was part of the committee that negotiated the deal, he and other victims weren't happy about it. Of the $4.5 billion settlement, only $750 million was going to victims, with payouts ranging from $3,500 to $48,000. And that legal protection for the Sacklers that prevented them from being sued again made Ryan really upset. He resigned from the committee before the deal was approved. The fact that nobody can sue them in civil court for their role in the overdose crisis ever again is ridiculous for $4.5 billion. If they're going to get that type of release, it should be for every single penny that they're worth. The bankruptcy judge approved the settlement in September. And Ryan wasn't the only critic. State attorneys general from Washington, Connecticut, Maryland, and other states, along with the U.S. Justice Department, argued that the Sacklers' contribution was insufficient to deter other corporate wrongdoing. So they decided to appeal. They didn't agree to the settlement, but they're being forced to accept it, even though they don't want to. And their argument is that they are their state's top law enforcement officers, and they shouldn't be forced to take a deal they don't want. And they also think that the Sacklers should be paying more money than they are. Jonathan says the appeal was kind of a long shot. I'll put it to you this way. Like, I've covered bankruptcy since since 2015. I can't think of another situation where an approved bankruptcy settlement like this, an approved reorganization plan, gets overturned on appeal. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Workday. Get the whole band together with Workday and pair finance and HR on one platform for an epic performance. With Workday AI at the core, you'll make confident decisions faster than ever. And you'll drive flawless business and finance operations with an agile platform that constantly evolves to future-proof your organization. Be a finance and HR rock star with Workday. Visit Workday.com to learn more. This episode of The Journal is brought to you by KPMG. At KPMG, we make the difference. It's not just something we say, it's what we do. We work closely with clients to uncover insights that illuminate opportunity, develop bold solutions that innovate industries, and create better outcomes driven by data. Brighter insights, bolder solutions, better outcomes. It's how our people make the difference. KPMG, make the difference. The appeal that was filed by the DOJ and the state attorneys general landed in a federal district court in Manhattan in front of Judge Colleen McMahon. She's not a bankruptcy judge, so it's not the kind of case she usually sees. It's like a fresh set of eyes looking at this bankruptcy case anew for the first time in years. So she was starting to ask questions that were not asked uh, in the bankruptcy court And with those fresh eyes, Judge McMahon started challenging the fundamentals of the entire agreement. 
She pointed out that the Sacklers, as the company's owners, had paid themselves $10 billion before Purdue filed for bankruptcy. And yet now, they were only putting $4.5 billion into the settlement pot? That struck her as problematic. So her issue was whether or not the billions of dollars that were paid to the Sacklers before Purdue Pharma filed for bankruptcy ultimately represented an abuse of the bankruptcy system. Because what she was thinking was the Sacklers put in roughly $4.5 billion, right? That money goes to all of Purdue Pharma's creditors. That's less than the 10-something billion dollars that were distributed to them before bankruptcy. And now that they did distribute that money, there's a catch. They get this release of all of their lawsuits. So how can that possibly be the right outcome is kind of her point. In the end, Judge McMahon's ruling took aim at those legal releases, that legal protection, and whether the bankruptcy code actually permits it. She made it clear in her opinion that an appeals court needs to give a clear guidance on whether or not these types of releases that the Sacklers were going to get should be allowed under the bankruptcy law. And different appeals courts have come out to different conclusions. And her questions weren't weren't sort of of the, of the very technical dollars and cents sorts of questions. She was asking a very fundamental question about whether this settlement made really any sense at all. Totally. And whether like, but the way I think about it is, is like, a, a lot of times bankruptcy lawyers are good at looking at individual trees, you know? She was panning back and looking at the forest and being like, something is not right here. This isn't right. It's different. She was raising something that was much more like holistic than what was brought up during the course of the bankruptcy trial. For Ryan, the decision left him with mixed feelings. It gave me a sense of hope that maybe the Sacklers will see their day in court. But it gave me a a tremendous amount of worry because with Judge McMahon's decision means this plan needs to be reworked. Uh, It means that as it currently stands, the $750 million for over 130,000 victims, which is a paltry sum to begin with, but it is something, is completely in jeopardy. As it stands, that victim's fund does not exist. So now we need to get back to the drawing board to make sure we protect that money. So it gives me worry. If the settlement had been upheld, victims would have started receiving payouts in 2022. Ryan's cut would have been about $15,000. But now, the path forward is a lot less clear. And it's possible there may never be another settlement. And if that happens, winning money from the Sacklers and Purdue in civil court could be really hard. Proving your case against the Sacklers? Like, they have the best lawyers to defend them. That's going to take years. That's not an open and shut case. Winning a lawsuit? Not easy. On top of that, the other thing that this settlement factors in, you win the lawsuit. Great. You got a judgment. Fantastic. How are you going to collect the judgment? Just because you won the lawsuit and have a judgment doesn't mean that money is now in your account. You got to collect it. Guess what? Half the Sackler's wealth, a lot of it, it's in offshore trusts. That is a whole other can of worms that you got to untangle and try to get that money. And 
as the bankruptcy judge said, and as like people who supported the plan said, good luck getting more than that $4.5 billion. So say everything went right for you in court. Are you going to get more than $4.5 billion? I don't know. I mean, it will take years to find out. Purdue Pharma has said in its papers that if that settlement fell apart, that if its reorganization plan to fall apart, it could be forced to liquidate. And that would mean that billions of dollars in value to opioid victims would evaporate. I don't exactly know what's going to happen. I've never covered a situation like this. More broadly, it has the potential to kind of very much change the way in which companies that are, you know, facing massive liabilities use the bankruptcy system to resolve those liabilities. Purdue says it plans to appeal the latest decision. That's all for today, Wednesday, December 22nd. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and the Wall Street Journal. If you like the show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We're out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.